0: Good morning, once again. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So we are uh, coming to the end of a long and hopefully fruitful journey to the Gospel of John. As we have said numerous times, we have come to the final chapter of John's Gospel, an epilogue, really, which John inserted so that his readers would know what happened to Peter after his denial of Jesus and how he was restored by the Lord to his apostleship and ministry. But not only that, as we have pointed out, this chapter teaches us some very important lessons about true love, and I'm talking about God's love, of course, which can and should be applied first and foremost to our relationship with Jesus but also to our marriages, which we've t- tried to work in throughout this little series, we're, we're calling Lessons in True Love. And it began with uh, the first main point of our outline, true love is not words, it's a commitment. That came out of the first 14 verses. Last week, we started looking at the second mo- main point of our outline, true love is not feelings, it's service. Verses 15 to 17. Now, When I say that true love is not feelings, it's service, I'm not saying that true love doesn't have any feelings at all to it. Of course it does. I'm talking about how that true love is not fundamentally built on feelings. Jesus told us to love our enemies. There's no feelings involved with loving your enemies. You reach out to those who have a need. If they're your enemy, you help them. Read Romans 12, right? Where uh, Paul the Apostle said, look, if someone... Hunger's give them something to eat if you thirst give them something to drink you want to win them to christ is the idea loving your enemies helping them with a need might open the door to their hearts to hear the gospel so true love isn't fundamentally feelings it's service and um, service can be a legitimate and genuine expression of love for jesus our love for him and our spouses we talked about this at length last week. But we said just be careful that you don't don't offer Jesus or, of course, your spouse service instead of or in place of true love. That's also a mistake. As we close last week's message, we said that for many Christians, because their love for Jesus is kind of cooled. I'm not saying that you're ice cold, I'm not saying, you know, your walk is a frozen tundra by any means. It's like, you know, you go from summer to fall. Things have cooled a little bit, right? And um, because the love of many Christians, these are hard times. Times like this can beat the life out of your walk. This is when you need to draw closer to Jesus. Not let the devil push you farther away. But many Christians, their their passion for Jesus has cooled. And uh, they've substituted in its place service for loving, passionate fellowship with him. As we looked at uh, at Revelation 2, verse 4 last week, uh, as Jesus was commending the church of Ephesus, he said, you're working or you're serving to the point of exhaustion. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. You're going through the the right motions. Your service is great. But you've left, you've lost the emotion in your relationship with me. What you need to do, if you find yourself in that kind of a situation, what you need to do is fall in love with Jesus again. Fall in love with Jesus again. So that your service becomes an expression of your love for Him. It doesn't replace it, it becomes the outgrowth, the fruit, the expression of your love. For him. How can you fall in love with Jesus? Well, and this isn't rocket science. I'm not a great intellectual. I'm a pretty simple guy. How about you start spending time with him? How do you fall in love with Jesus? Start spending time with him, as demonstrated in a passage I want to focus on this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Because Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42 is the Holy Spirit's way of answering the question, how do you fall in love with Jesus again? Let's read verses 38 to 42, Luke chapter 10. Now what happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. one thing is needed. It was obvious what he was talking about. First and foremost, what is needed in any child of God's walk is to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To have fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. We don't have an English equivalent. We have to combine words and phrases to communicate what fellow koinonia really is. Koinonia means to share in, to become one with someone to have a deep personal relationship with them it goes way beyond an acquaintance kind of a relationship this is something ideally that husbands and wives should have with each other, have with each other but it doesn't always happen in marriages sometimes the woman has a closer relationship with another girlfriend the guy with another guy friend when ideally they should have the closest relationship With each other of all their relationships except for their relationship with God. One thing is needed. A deep personal relationship with our Savior first. This is the kind of relationship he desires to have with all of us. Something deep and personal. Listen, not shallow, superficial, or casual. And guys, the only way for this kind of relationship, that this kind of relationship can be cultivated with Jesus is by spending quality time with him. Right? I mean, it's not hard to figure out. We call it communion, as in communing with somebody. Again, it's so much more than just having a casual relationship. This is something very deep, profound, intimate, right? Uh, Let me just say this to you. Simple service for Jesus is great. Simple service for Jesus is great, but you you can serve, you can have koinonia and then serve, but you cannot serve without koinonia, because just serving the Lord will never get you to the depth of relationship that koinonia implies. This is something that goes beyond, again, a casual kind of relationship, something we... Just simple service, as great as it is, won't cut it by itself. It will not get you to the depth of relationship Jesus desires to have with you. And as we read the passage in Luke 10, as we read the passage in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42 about Martha and her sister Mary, the Holy Spirit highlights for us, listen, the basic individual personality of each woman. And how their own particular personality impacted the way they related to Jesus. In fact, if we had to do a personality profile of these two women based on the information, not much, but there's a lot here actually. And if we had to do a personality profile of these two women based on the information we have in these verses, it would probably look something like this. All right, let's start with Martha. How does Martha, what what is her personality profile, what do you think? Well, I think from the text, Martha comes across as a classic type A personality. One expert defined it this way. He said, and I quote, The so-called type A personality is characterized by competitiveness and impatience. The most toxic personality traits of type A people are frequent reactions of hostility and anger. These traits are correlated with an increased risk of risk of coronary heart disease. End quote. Look, Martha seems to be a high-strung, task-oriented perfectionist. That's my read. She comes across as a person who can never sit still. She's always got to be doing something. Her house has to always be immaculate. She can't relax. Until the cupboards are cleaned, the dishes are washed and put away, and the beds are made. Martha was probably the kind of person who busied herself more with projects than with people. Now, that's not to say that she was unfriendly, right, or unpleasant to be around. It was just that she always seemed to have so much to do, she didn't have much time left to spend time coffee clutching with the neighbors, there was always one more errand to run, one more chore that needed to be done. Busy, busy, busy was Martha of Bethany. She was what we would call today a workaholic, with probably a little splash of OCD mixed in—little obsessive-compulsive right um, disorder. Uh, that's that's kind of my take on Martha. Love her. Relate more to her than I do with other gals like Mary. Anyways, what about Mary's uh, personality profile? Well, Mary, on the other hand, was a much more laid-back and easygoing kind of person. She was not task-oriented. She was a people person. A people person. While Martha busied herself with household chores, I kind of imagine Mary was probably out in the yard talking with neighbors over the fence or... Uh, while strolling around, visiting with people in her village. Again, she was a people person. It was no problem for Mary to leave the dishes undone and the beds unmade to spend the afternoon sipping tea and visiting with a friend. Martha, on the other hand, couldn't let anyone in the house unless it was spotless first, which meant Martha probably didn't entertain much because there was always another shelf that needed to be cleaned or a closet that needed to be organized or some other chore that needed her attention. If I read Mary right, she was probably a meanderer, a meanderer. For Mary, the journey was just as important as the destination. I can just picture Mary going somewhere, but stopping along the way to look at and smell the fresh spring flowers or to watch a robin build its nest. She was probably never in a hurry, in going wherever she was going, which meant she probably, probably was the one who was always, always late getting somewhere. Martha never late getting anywhere. So Martha, the journey was nothing more than the time you had to waste in getting to where you were going. In other words, Martha hated the journey. She was all business, and as such, it was the destination that was important to her. I mean, the thought of stopping. To look at flowers seemed to her an unnecessary waste of time, something Martha never seemed to have enough of. I mean, think about that. Stopping to look at flowers when she had somewhere to go. That was the kind of irresponsible things that airheaded people like her sister Mary did. I'm sure that Martha must have waited for her sister all the time. As they were on their way to a destination, you know, Mary was never there on time. Mary forced everybody to wait for her, and that really, I'm sure, irritated Martha to no end. Do you know somebody like that? I'm sure you do. You might be that person. And I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying. Now look, it's been said that the Marys of this world will never get heart attacks, but they will probably give a few. So here you have two women, two sisters, that are being lifted up by the Holy Spirit. They find their way into Holy Scripture, and that's by no accident. The Spirit of God put them there. Two sisters with entirely different personalities. The Holy Spirit is contrasting, I believe, these two women and how they related to Jesus to teach us, as Jesus himself put it, the one thing that is needed the one thing that is needed in our Christian life. And I believe, and this is why I brought this passage in to our little series on lessons in true love, I believe the Holy Spirit put this story here, true story, to teach us an important lesson about true love. How about the practice? That was the personality profile. What about the practice? Here we see how each sister's personality motivated and cultivated, really, her practice in life first of all we see martha busying herself with serving the lord what is better than what is more important than serving the lord very important right mary on the other hand was sitting at jesus feet listening to his teaching and enjoying his fellowship in fact mary of bethany is mentioned three times in the new testament and every time she is mentioned she is seen sitting at the feet of jesus It's interesting to me that the Lord really didn't commend Martha for all of her service and busyness for him. But instead, he did praise Mary for having chosen that good part, which was communion with him. Now, at this point, some of you might be prone to ask, well, isn't Christian service good and important? And the answer, of course, is yes, of course it is. Jesus admonished us to be faithful in our service to him. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 12 verse 11 that we are to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. The point of this passage isn't to put down service for Jesus. The point is to lift up fellowship with Jesus. It's important to understand, and this is important that we understand this, The Holy Spirit is not saying one sister is evil and the other good. He's not saying one sister is wrong, the other is right. Because both of these women, both of these sisters were expressing their individual love for Jesus in different ways. The motive was good. Sometimes our motives can be right and yet our methods can be skewed, can be a little off. Both women were expressing their love for Jesus. Martha through her service, Mary through her fellowship. Now, again, in all honesty, I relate more to Martha than I do Mary. I'll just be honest. But then again, I relate more to Peter than to Paul. But I'll admit it to you. I relate more to Martha than I do to Mary. And I don't think I'm alone because I think most Americans tend to be Marthas. Busy to the point of distraction and exhaustion. We Christians comfort ourselves in our business busyness by telling ourselves, well, yeah, I'm busy, but I'm busy because I'm serving the Lord. And no, I don't have as much time to spend with him as I used to because I'm always working in ministry in the church. But he knows it's okay because I am serving him. Isn't that what he's after, really? We think that activity or in other words service for Jesus is just as good if not better in our minds we're thinking this than is spending time with Jesus. But what many Christians don't realize is that what you do with Jesus is infinitely more important than what you do for Jesus. As we said last week I believe God doesn't need any of us to do anything for him. He can send angels to do a much better job in whatever he needs done than we could ever do. We think he needs our service. He doesn't. What he wants is our fellowship. That's the point of the story. Well, what about the product? Martha was a server, Mary was a sitter. How did that affect them psychologically? Well, let's look. We could put it this way. What was the product of each sister's practice? Or in other words, what did their practice, how they related to Jesus, what did it produce in each of their lives? Let's start with Mary. Mary had peace. How do I know that? Well, verse 39, it says that Martha had her sister called Mary, who also what? Sat at Jesus' feet. The fact that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, it indicated a certain level of calmness and peace to her demeanor. Sitting implies being at rest. As opposed to Martha, who I imagine was walking back and forth from the kitchen to the, to the dining room to the living room, trying to get everything ready for her luncheon with Jesus, for Jesus. I think Mary had peace. I think the Holy Spirit's communicating that to us. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. In his presence, there is, there's peace, fullness of joy, right? Also, though, Mary, because she sat in Jesus' presence so somewhat so often, she was in tune with her Lord. Verse 39, Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and did what? Heard, heard his word. And it doesn't mean she just heard it audibly. She was hearing by bringing it into her heart. She was really listening. My wife tells me that I hear what she says, but I'm not listening oftentimes. <laughs> well, sometimes i got other things on my mind. <laughs> it's like the guy who says, you know, my wife walks around all, all the house all day talking and, and, and to herself, and, and his friend says, does she realize she's doing it? He said, no, she thinks, she thinks I'm listening. all right that's it no more serious subject sorry I interjected that Um, but Mary because she listened and I mean really listened to what Jesus had to say she was able to um, understand things that he wasn't hiding from anybody but she was able to understand things that Martha didn't get although she was in the same house and no doubt heard Jesus talking in the other room. Mary understood things that, quite frankly, even Jesus' other disciples didn't understand. What do I mean? We know that Mary seems to be the only one that understood he was going to die. As evidenced in the fact that almost a week earlier, as recorded in John 12, She anointed his feet for burial. She anointed him for burial. She got flack from the disciples who thought it was a needless alabaster flask, a very fine oil of spikenard, very expensive. Broke it open because you couldn't unscrew it. It didn't have a screw cap. (laughs) It was sealed in glass. If you had to get at it, you had to break the, the vial and use all of it. And uh, she caught a lot of flack from the other disciples who thought that was a needless waste of money. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Everywhere this story is mentioned will be a tribute to her for all time. Martha, with all of her business, apparently didn't take the time to really listen to Jesus, as again is the, the case with so many of us. So often God is talking to us, In that still small voice? But we're so busy with activities and responsibilities and projects that they often drown the voice of God out and we don't hear what he is saying. So what does he have to do? He's got to shout at us to get our attention. How does he do that? Well, C.S. Lewis said it. God whispers in our pleasures and shouts in our pain. God loves us so much and has so many important things to say to us. He will not let activities drown out his voice forever. He'll just start shouting louder. Which means he will allow pain to come into our lives. Now, God said in Psalm 32 that he doesn't want to direct our lives to pain. He said, look, I want to direct you with my eyes. I just want to be able to look over here and just do that with my eyes so that you know where I want you to turn. Don't be like the dumb horse or the dumb mule that won't obey, won't go where you want them to unless you inflict pain, bit and bridle. Because I don't want to lead your life like that. You're not a dumb animal. You're a creature made in my image, filled with my spirit. I want us to be in close fellowship. There's that word koinonia again. That's Mary. How did Martha's constant serving affect her emotionally, psychologically? Well, first of all, she was distracted. And I'm not guessing. That's right in the text, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with what? Much serving. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it in a second. The dictionary defines distracted as, and I'm quoting, Having one's thoughts or attention driven about mentally, unable to concentrate or give attention to something over-occupied. The Greek verb literally means to be drawn in different ways at the same time. In other words, Martha's attention was being drawn to and controlled by her circumstances. In this case, her house, household chores. I mean, she was allowing everything become the issue. It was all pulling her in so many different directions. Instead of doing what she should have been doing all along, focusing her attention strictly on Jesus. The devil will try to get your eyes off of Jesus any chance he can. Because if he can get you to get your eyes off of Jesus under your circumstances, guess what? Like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, you're going down. You're going down. It's important that we understand this, that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because busyness distracts. Busyness gets you focused on things other than God himself. And that creates a lot of negative thoughts and feelings, and it begins to drag you down, fill you with worry. The Greek... um, I said, I said Greek, I meant German. The German root for the word worry is strangle. If the devil can get your eyes off the Lord, get your eyes focused on, on circumstances, he'll begin to create, generate worry. And that will strangle out your joy, your peace, and everything else good that God wants to produce in your life. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Just like weeds will choke out the fruitfulness of your garden, so worry will choke out the fruitfulness of your walk. Martha was so busy serving the Lord that it wound up taking her away from the Lord. Or in other words, she was so busy serving Jesus, she no longer had any time for Jesus. Now, that's a bizarre thought, but I have experienced it in my own life many times. Where I get so busy in ministry serving the king, I don't have any time for the king. And I justify, well, Lord, you know I'm busy. You know, if you don't want me running around doing everything, then stop having people have problems. It's your fault, Lord. It's your fault that I can't spend time with you. God says, don't go there. Don't go there. you got to prioritize. You spend time with me first, and then I'll send you out on service, right? It's the old saying, the man or the woman who kneels before God can stand up to anything. We draw our strength when we kneel in his presence, soak in his presence, and so on. So Mary was dis- Martha was distracted. Number two, she was stressed out. Martha wanted to serve Jesus so much that she wound up taking on more than she could handle. Now, have you, have you ever done this or known anybody to do this? I have over the years. Sweet, wonderful Christian saints... Who wants so badly to serve Jesus? Well, we need a little help of it. I'll do it, uh, guys. We need a little help of it. I'll go. They got like five things on their plate. They want to serve Jesus so bad they just they just um, pile so much stuff on them their shoulders that it causes a problem. Just like Jesus said in verse forty, or it says in verse forty. But Martha was distracted with what? Much serving. The problem really wasn't the serving. The problem was she took too much upon herself in her desire to serve the Lord. Sometimes in ministry, understand and pray about it. Sometimes in ministry, I don't want to lose anybody. Lord, help me. Sometimes in ministry, less is more. Less is more. If the goal is to know Jesus and draw close to Jesus, well, that would mean that activities have to take a back seat good they're good please don't resign from your ministry uh, unless you really feel you need to but we have to understand that if the goal is to draw close to jesus and have fellowship with him it's going to mean we may have to cut out some activities look martha was stressed out She had a good heart she just put too much on her own shoulders And the result was she started getting stressed out, which caused her not only to lose her joy, first thing to go, and your peace, but she further became frustrated and irritated. Look at verse 40. By the time we're done, you're going to have these verses memorized. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now here's Mary sitting they're at Jesus' feet, relaxed, at peace, enjoying her fellowship with him. And I would imagine as Martha's darting from one room to the other, she sees Mary over there, and she's irritated by that. Busy people will always be irritated with your sense of peace. And what they don't realize is you're in the presence of Jesus. You're really taking time with the Lord. You're in the Word, you know, you're in prayer. And they're running around like a chicken without their head, and they're wondering why you have such... It irritates them. Well, they can have it too. Got to learn the lessons that the Holy Spirit's teaching us. Well, here Mary is sitting there at the feet of Jesus, relaxed, at peace, having a great old time, fellowshipping with the Lord, whereas Martha was feeling stressed and frustrated about being left alone to do all the work she had yet to do for the Lord. Listen to me, work nobody forced her to do. I hate the word volunteer in the Christian context. We are not volunteers. We are servants of Jesus. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. I'm going to use the word volunteer here just for the sake of making this point. Nobody put a gun to Martha's head and forced her to serve. She volunteered. She took it all on her own shoulders, right? Nobody told her that she had to serve Jesus in this way. And nobody was telling her that now that she was stressed out, she had to continue serving Jesus in this way. Nobody was forcing her to do anything. So what happened? Well, she gets angry. She gets angry not only at her sister, but listen, she also gets angry at the Lord. Look again, verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. In other words... Lord, don't just let her sit there. Tell her to go into the kitchen and help me. In the Greek, this you won't see this in the English, in the Greek, this comes across as a rebuke. She's so mad at Mary that she literally takes it out on Jesus and actually rebukes the Lord for not being fair. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus Christ? I can't. But some people get so worked up, so in the flesh, and begin to blame God for often things they brought into their own life. Well, sure, I brought it into my own life, but he's God. He could have stopped me. Well, yeah, he is God. But if you're bound and determined to do certain things, he's going to let you reap the consequences. So if she gets so worked up, Martha does, that she actually <laughs> rebukes the Lord. What does she say? Well, Lord, you're not fair. I mean, you're treating my sister, my irresponsible sister, Mary, better than you're treating me, the responsible one. I, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm serving you. I'm industrious. I'm responsible and here. You're letting Mary just sit there. And you're not saying anything to her. Lord, you're wrong here. Can you imagine? We would never say that like that. Now, Lord Jesus, you're wrong. But we're thinking it deep down somewhere. and I know we're thinking it because we wouldn't be mad at the Lord if we really believed his ways was perfect. Martha had come to a place where her service was no longer motivated by a simple and sincere love for Jesus. That's how all of our service starts with a, most of it, with a sincere and uh, with a simple and sincere love for Jesus. But now in Martha's case, Because she had overextended herself, she was feeling pressured by all the responsibilities to get things done. And this filled her with anxiety, which boils over in anger. And she begins to complain to Jesus, essentially saying, and maybe you've been there, I don't know. Why am I always the one to ask to do everything around here? Now, we hear that in marriage just quite a bit, but I often hear it in the church. I've heard it in the church from some people who are so zealous to serve but somewhere along the line they soured and now they're complaining guys you never want to get to a place where you find yourself complaining about what you're doing for the lord and if you ever do arrive at that place where you find yourself so stressed out in your service to the lord that you start complaining about it what you need to do is stop immediately Go somewhere quiet, get on your knees, confess your sins to God, because it is a sin to complain about serving the king. Again, he doesn't need our service. He loves us and allows us to serve him. It's a privilege. Go somewhere and pray and get your heart right with God. Because the flesh has gotten in and the devil has, has ramped up things in your heart. See it for what it is. Go somewhere quiet. Repent of the sin of complaining. Get your heart right. And then start serving the Lord with the right heart. And if you can't do that because you're so worked up and so filled with anger, then quit. Because God doesn't need it. And you're not being blessed for it. So take some time off. I mean, the Lord doesn't want any of us complaining about what we are doing for him. And he points this out to Martha. He said in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. The Greek indicates that Martha was inwardly very anxious and outwardly very distressed. In other words, she was at this point a basket case, a spiritual train wreck. Now at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't think Mary was being right. Letting... Her sister do all the work while she just sat there. I think that the Lord should have rebuked Mary for her laziness. And that's how pretty much everybody reads the story. That's what they think when they read this story. Let me show you something you might not have seen before. Again, I want to read the whole passage, verse 38. Now what happened is they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house And she had a sister called Mary who also, keep that in mind, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Implying she had been with him, she had been with her sister Martha. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. The Greek here is interesting. The Greek literally reads, Lord, do you not care that my sister keeps on leaving me to serve alone? Look, Mary was helping Martha in preparing this meal. But when she had finished the task, I guess like maybe setting the table, She quickly returned to sit at Jesus' feet. So this idea that Mary was lazy and wasn't helping at all is wrong. She did serve, but her service for the Lord was secondary to her true passion, which was to sit at Jesus' feet, listen to his words, and enjoy his fellowship. I mean, Martha, Martha the homemaker was cooking up a storm, the quintessential homemaker. She's busy getting everything ready. She's wanting everything to be perfect for Jesus, an expression of her love. I mean, she is showing her love by working herself to the bone. Mary was helping Martha. But the service wasn't her first love. Jesus was. I mean, she helped set the table, Mary did. But if she forgot the dumb doilies under the glasses, she didn't really care about that. Martha, that would drive her crazy. It wasn't perfect. You forgot the doilies. Oh, yeah, but big deal. I want to go back and sit with Jesus again. I mean, her main concern was to get back as quickly as possible to the one place she loved the most, sitting at Jesus' feet. In other words, it wasn't that Mary was lazy and did no work. It was that she saw her service for Jesus as secondary to her fellowship and communion with him, which in her mind, Was primary. So, guys, the one word that best characterized Mary was not the word lazy. Are you ready? It was the word balanced. Balanced. Balance is something that is extremely important in the Christian walk. It's something that Satan will try to always get you to gravitate to one end of the spectrum. He wants you off balance. He wants you to serve yourself to exhaustion but not fellowship. Or he wants you to do this to the exclusion of that. God wants balance. There are whole religions, not that I'm pushing this, there are whole religions based on the idea of balance, the yin and the yang and the the tao and everything else in the Eastern faiths. Well, there is a point to that. God wants us to have balance too in our Christian walk. Christianity is true. These other world religions, they're false. They have latched on something. Balance is important. And I think that's the one word that characterized Mary more than anything else. I personally believe, as we bring this to a close, that that was one of the big reasons why she she was such a people person. Look, I don't think you can sit at Jesus' feet and hear his words on a regular basis. And I believe this one way beyond this little luncheon she knew the lord and she often had jesus stay at the house we learn that from other passages so i would imagine there were many times mary was sitting at jesus feet listening to him speak and as jesus himself said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks when jesus spoke he was expressing his heart you can't sit there and listen to jesus speak from his heart and not have a heart that he had which was a heart for people Again, this is where Mary got her her heart for people. She was a people person. And I, I believe, guys, this was the lesson Jesus was trying to teach Martha. And a lesson the Holy Spirit is trying to teach the rest of us who are like Martha. Here it is. Our service. Listen, our service for Jesus will never be effective or even accepted by him. If it doesn't flow from our fellowship with him. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to see. It was the Annas of this world that were the most rewarded. Who was Anna? Luke chapter 1. An old woman who lived in the temple and served God day and night with fastings and prayer. She lived in the presence of God. There are many like her. Who understand how important being with Jesus is, they're not putting service down. They're just saying that service will often be fruitless, frustrating, exhaustive if it's not done, if it doesn't flow out of your time with Him. Let's close the priority. What is the lesson we can learn from this passage? Let me read verse 42. Jesus said. But one thing is needed. Martha, you're so stressed out. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. The NIV translates verse 42 this way. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We need to understand that Jesus isn't holding up one to the exclusion of the other. It's not that service is bad, it's that communion is better. It's not a matter of choosing between the good and the bad. Again, service is not bad. It's a matter of choosing between the good and the best. If you can only do one thing, if you only have time to do one thing, serve Jesus in some way or spend some time in his presence, you'll be wise to choose the latter. And when the Lord said, One thing is needed. Don't miss this. He wasn't saying we only need to do this one thing. He was saying that of all the things we busy ourselves with, this is the one thing we cannot neglect. And notice what Jesus said about Mary. He said, Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen. You and I must choose to sit at Jesus' feet in fellowship. It won't happen by accident. The devil won't let it happen. He'll always throw things our way to keep us. I believe the devil has got two primary uh, commands to his generals and uh, field lieutenants. The first command, first and foremost, keep them off their knees at any cost. The second command Once you keep them off their knees, get them out of the word. Get them out of the Bible. Those are the two things the devil has commanded his troops. So he won't let you wait for an opportune time to have fellowship with Jesus. You've got to pencil it into your schedule. Like a Daniel, right? Three times a day, morning, noon, evening. That was his time set aside to open his windows and pray towards Jerusalem. He penciled that in. Pretty busy guy, prime minister of Babylon, right? Look, again, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. There's, there's always going to be one more job to do around the house, one more customer to call, one more bill to pay, one more place to go. But as we look around at how many Christians are stressed out, frustrated, and have no joy, it's directly proportionate to how much or actually how little time they are spending with the Lord. J. Vernon McGee said, great old preacher with the Lord now, he said, and I quote, my frustrated, confused friend, are you at that corner of life where you do not know which way to turn? Then for goodness sakes, sit down, sit at Jesus' feet, Look in his word and see what he has to say. Just take time to sit at, his, at the feet of Jesus. Mary chose that best part, end quote. Another author said, and I quote, while the master does appreciate all that we undertake for him, he knows that our, that our first need is to sit at his feet and learn his will. Then in our tasks, we shall be calm and peaceful and kindly and at last our service may attain the perfectness of that of Mary when in a latter scene she poured upon the feet of Jesus the ointment, the oil of spikenard, the perfume of which still fills the world today, end quote. All right, let me, we're done. Let me just say this. We'll close. You might be thinking, well, my life is just too busy right now to spend time with Jesus like you're talking about. That's a cop-out. You will always make time for whatever you think is important. Always. And please, once again, don't fall into the trap of thinking that serving the Lord is just as important as sitting with the Lord. I think this story now has shown us uh, God doesn't feel that way. Not that service is bad. Fellowship is good. Service is good. Fellowship with Jesus is better. He didn't say Mary has chosen... The bad part, or Martha, he said, Mary has chosen the best part. How do you fall in love with Jesus? That's how we started this little message. You fall in love with him, first of all, by spending time with him. That is an obvious and yet fundamental point of what's involved in practicing true love. I see it in marriage husbands and wives have grown grown apart i'll ask them are you spending any time together well we're all we're both kind of busy well that's your problem you need to fall in love with each other you know the answer is not to chuck the marriage and find somebody new the answer is your marriage is cooled you need to fall in love again with your spouse and the only way that's going to happen as we said needs to be happening with Jesus and falling in love with him spend time with them spend time with them share your heart Christians pray for each other next week we will continue possibly conclude our little series lessons in true love I think we've gotten enough today to think about I know I have may God give all of us grace to be Mary's I know I need to be a Mary I'm too much of a Martha God, help us all to be Mary's. And that starts in the heart. May God give us the heart to be in fellowship with our Savior. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the great love you have for us that caused you to come down because you wanted to spend time with us. In fact, you wanted to ultimately go to the cross that you might spend eternity with us. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you would continue To bless these studies in your word, we ask you to give us grace, every one of us, to fall in love with you, Lord. That you're the first person we think of when we open our eyes in the morning, the last person we think of before we fall asleep at night, and all throughout our day, that everywhere we go, we're thinking about you. Meditating on a verse or two from your word we looked at this morning before we started our day. We just thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing now. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.